DLR is something that you make your own. It's totally your branding. You can change it, you can modify it, adjust it to your audience so it really speaks to them. You have full control over everything. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey Podcast, where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible. Today's guest is Alice Seba. This episode is brought to you by blogsetupservices.com, which is exactly what it sounds like, a service to set up your blog for you. So if you've struggled with the technical aspects of launching a blog business, including installing WordPress, getting your hosting account up and running, getting your domain name, working with that hosting account, and getting a nice design up and running for your blog, this is the service for you. It's for all you non-techies out there. So once you sign up for your very own blog setup services package, Carrie is going to become your blog mechanic. She will provide this installation and support service for you, which includes installing your blog and helping you with all aspects of setting up your domain name and your hosting account. She's also gonna offer you to choose from a selection of premium themes provided by StudioPress. And you can choose which one of these you like the most. They're normally gonna cost you $99.95, but they're included for free as part of the blog setup services package. So once your blog is set up and you've got that nice premium theme, Carrie's also going to install six must-have plugins so that you've got things like protection from spam, protection from hackers. You've got something to help with the, the loading time, to speed up the loading time of your blog, and a bunch of other things that are very common but important like spell checks and web forms so people can easily contact you through your blog. We're also going to throw in a second bonus. This is is from me. If you choose to sign up for the blog setup services package, you also get access to my blog tech 101 guide, which is huge. It's 128 pages that I put together specifically for my members to help with everything to do with blog technology. So you've got all kinds of information there, not just blog setup, but you've got things like how to do uh, collect emails from people, how to set up product delivery sections on your blog, how to create membership sites, all the technical aspects of blogging are covered in there. But Carrie will do all the basic installation for you. So you've got both here. You've got the knowledge on what you need to do with tech, but Carrie's going to do the basic setup for you all part of this package. So you're probably wondering how much does this actually cost? Well, it's a one-time fee of just $99 for your blog to be completely set up with a nice custom premium theme, your domain name, your hosting, and those six must-have plugins, plus my free guide on the technical aspect of running a blog business. So you get all of that for $99. Just go to blogsetupservices.com to find out more and to order your blog setup package and you can turn your idea into a fully functioning website in under three days. Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today I have a guest with me who I'm actually quite curious to learn the background story about because um, like myself, she has been online forever and anytime someone's been making a living on the internet for a long period of time, it usually means they've done something right, possibly more than once. So there's usually a few stories to dive into and figure out uh, how they did that. So we're leading with a claim to fame for my guest today. She has sold over over millions, well, millions of dollars worth of content online. I know that sounds a little bit vague, so I'm looking forward to finding out what exactly that means. Um, without further ado, let me just introduce my guest. My guest today is Alice Siba. Alice, thank you for joining me. 
Well, thank you very much for having me. So, Alice, uh, I, I'm trying to figure out when I first actually saw your name or what you what you do or what you did pop up because I remember there was a period of time. It's it's funny to say this because now in the sort of current internet era, there are so many women internet marketers. Like it's it's. I feel like there's an army of Marie Forleo's out there of you know women, <laughs> women teaching women and all kinds of sub niches, just like there are for men as well. Um, but when I first discovered you, I do recall you were a bit more of an anomaly in the sense that you were a female internet marketer and there weren't nearly as many back then. Uh, I think I could probably count them on my one hand if I, if I could remember when that year was. It was probably around mid-2000s, I'm thinking. Okay. Um, I know you, you, your bio says you got your start around 2002. Is that, is that accurate? For It was 2002. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'd like to cover it all. So let's, let's go back in time properly. And, and uh, are you, have you always been a, a Vancouverite or were you born somewhere else? I was born and raised here. My parents uh, came from the Czech Republic, well then Czechoslovakia, a few years before I was born. And I've always been here. Yeah. Ah, we have some history. My grandparents are from Czech slash Hungary, wherever the border oh, yeah. kept changing. So, um, yeah, so we have some in the bloodline. So um, <laughs> I don't know how many Czechs arrived in Vancouver in British Columbia. I know if it was, was uh, did you meet any others or is it common? There, oh, yes. Actually, growing up, uh, my my parents had this kind of tight-knit group of people. We used to go camping with them every summer and spend a lot of time with them. So there, there, are, there are quite a few here. Yeah. Um, so it's good. They first moved to Winnipeg, though, when they first came to Canada and I'm so forever grateful that they moved to Vancouver before I was born because that Winnipeg winter would have killed me. <laughs> yeah, my uh, father's side, my grandmother, um, she spent most of her life after being a Ukrainian immigrant after World War II. She got to Winnipeg, but she never escaped or chose never to leave. Oh, no. For whatever reason. So <laughs> no offense, Winnipeg, for the Winnipeg listeners. But <laughs> just, it's just a preference. <laughs> yeah. It's, you're, you're a hearty bunch, I think, if you live in Winnipeg. So. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Um, okay, so you're you're uh, born and raised in Vancouver. Um, I, I, it's funny because I grew up in Australia. I, I always assumed growing up in Canada, besides perhaps a love for hockey, uh, it would be very similar to growing up in Australia. So did you just have you know playing out, out in the forests and the, <laughs> the amazing ocean we have here, and then went to school? All great. Any. Any stories from back then? Any stories? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was, I mean, a great upbringing, a little bit different, having immigrant parents and stuff like that, but because uh, they did things a little differently, didn't want to spend money, were a little cheap, and, mm. but they taught me a lot, I think, too, you know, and not, I didn't learn those lessons right away about about money and things, but it was coming along now, especially, I don't, now I have to be, I, I need to know how to manage this money because that money's coming in. <laughs> Right. What do you mean by the lessons they taught you? Like just frugality or? I think, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's what's missing a lot is that I've always kind of had this approach where I think like if I have to solve a financial problem, I would always think, and like I said, it took me a while to learn the lessons, um, <clears throat> that I would approach it where I just make more money as opposed to where my parents were always, you know, careful with their money, which is how most people get wealthy, right? Is, is not being loose and totally free with their, their money, being careful with it. And, oh yeah, like my mom used to darn our socks, like instead of buying new socks and she would sew them and she still does it for her own socks. And apparently a few years ago, my father finally put his foot down 
and said that they're really uncomfortable with the, the stitching. In them, so <laughs> I'm just going to get new socks. <laughs> but that was, and he's 70 now. So that was wow. a really big deal for him to finally just say that's enough. <laughs> so it took until he was 70 to experience the joys of fresh socks. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. Um, that's an interesting distinction, actually. The difference between uh, making money by saving it versus making money by producing more. I, yeah. I, I have a similar experience with my my own mother. She was like a huge saver, but not a great earner. Um, and I had the opposite attitude. I remember thinking, man, I, I do waste money sometimes, especially things like picking flights that might be more expensive than, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. and catching a, a 6 a.m. flight. Um, but then I always thought I'd rather go and make more money and use my hours that way, you know, and be awake in the case of not mm-hmm. catching an early flight. Um, it's, it is a different mentality. Obviously, it's great if you can do both, save both. and earn, yes. <laughs> right? Um, but I think perhaps, you know, there's a, an abundance versus scarcity difference there too. And, and probably immigrant parents, I know, can't help it, right? You came over here with nothing. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine what that's like. Did you, um, you know, growing up because of your parents like that, or, or maybe just your own nature, did you feel you were entrepreneurial as a child or a teenager? Not so much, actually. I always thought like, because yeah, my dad was like a blue collar worker. My mom stayed home with us till she was probably... Well, it, I was early grades, probably fourth grade or something like that. And she started to work for uh, like Canada Revenue Agency, uh, like which is like which everybody knows is kind of like the IRS for Canada. <laughs> and um, so they never did. And my, I guess my dad did dabble a little bit in business, but I never really knew much about it. So I never thought about it. And business itself always kind of interests me. But I was I imagined myself working for someone else, right? Like doing, mm-hmm. you know, marketing or something. But then that kind of went away too. So I really don't know. It was more, it was, it was having kids and, and wanting to be home and to be there for them that kind of sparked it for me. But yeah, so, so when you were, wasn't a plan, right? <laughs> in which case when you were, uh, I don't know if you went to university or not, but when you yes. were going through schooling, what was like your decision-making process entering university? What kind of, well, that's kind of funny because I, I was always a good student. And so it was like, oh, you should go to university. I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to study? I have no idea what I want to be. So I, I have a, I have a history and a double major in history and archaeology. Oh, wow. With no real idea what I was going to do other than maybe I'd be a teacher. Thought about maybe law school or something like that. All vague ideas. So I, I really didn't know. Wow. So you're kind of like uh, Laura Croft here, Tomb Raider degree. That's what that sounds like. So. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So when you um, graduated, then what did you do? Did you look for a job or? Um, I think at the time I was a waitress working my way through school and then even after I graduated. But I also kind of got into um, sort of working for an English as a second language school in Vancouver. So we uh, students would come from around the world to learn English in Vancouver for a few weeks, sometimes a few months or something like that. Um, and I started off as a teacher's assistant. And then I kind of I actually did that. <laughs> I, funny enough is I was going to quit. And then they made me their weirdly enough, their marketing manager. And I had no I had no idea about marketing. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But it was, sure was a fun job. And I got to travel. I went to South America, to Asia to recruit students and stuff. So it was a great experience. Wow. So what was at that point in time, what, what was marketing? Was there online marketing or, or not? 
like the school had a website and there wasn't I mean and it, it, because that would have been oh, what year would that have, how old would I <laughs> that's got to be like 21 years ago so I think there there was an internet right was, and, yes. but but there wasn't I, I and, and like our school didn't really utilize a lot of online marketing other than through specific organizations like government organizations that did like a student recruitment and right. things like that so uh, I didn't you know I didn't I didn't really learn anything about online marketing through that job right because that's sort of 97 that would have been yeah yeah websites dot com boom starting up probably yeah so people talking about e-commerce a lot but yeah interesting okay so you, you got to travel a bit what happened after that did, did did you start leaning towards anything to do with the internet or did you still have like a normal sort of career path not internet and then i like then I started, this was kind of the part where I sort of did get some kind of entrepreneurial bug and I decided to kind of branch on my out on my own and started tutoring English and things like that. But that was like very time consuming and, and, uh, you know, labor intensive. I wasn't going to build a team of two tutors or anything like that. So, uh, and I don't, it kind of died off and it really wasn't until I had my first child, which would have been in 2001. <laughs> yes, 2001, <laughs> he'll be 17 this year. Uh, and I just had this thought, like, I, I want to, I don't want to go back. I had a, I actually was where I was also working by this time for Canada Revenue Agency. I seem to have followed in my mom's footsteps, but I was in human resources and I was like, I really don't want to go back there. I want to, you know, be home for my kids. And so I started looking around and I joined the, do you know, uh, you, Usborne Books. Mm. It's like a, it's kind of like Tupperware, but it's for kids' books. Okay. So you sell it and like go to home parties and things like that. So I'm like, okay. I, I looked online. I found that that company. I thought that sounded interesting. You know, I had a new child selling kids' books. Sounds lovely. But then I'm like, I signed up for it, and I'm like, this is not a home business because I have to go out. I have to find people to have these stupid parties for me. So. <laughs> Or I thought they were stupid. Um, have these parties for me, and I'm out all the time, and then not making very much money because I'm really was not. I'm not a. I, I mean, I'm a much better salesperson now, but I was not a, definitely not a fa- good face to face salesperson at all. So it was like I was going out a few times a week, not making much money. I'm like, this is not a home business. I want a home business. So I started searching a bit more on the internet. And what I find interesting is that you said there weren't very many women. But what I first connected with was, uh, you know, the work at home mom community. Right. So these are moms who are doing the party plans and things. So they're saying they're working at home, but they're not working at home. But you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I came across the site wham.com, which probably still, I'm sure it exists, wahm.com. And it's a big you know, one of the originals, um, big community of mom who have these businesses. And I kind of went on to the message board and I said, you know, I think this internet thing sounds like, you know, is there a way to have a full-time online business? Because I don't want to, I don't want to be going out and selling stuff. And everyone's like, well, yeah, you know, you, you can supplement your business with internet stuff, but you can't make a full-time income. They all told me. And I'm like, that sounds like bull. (laughs) 
I'm going to prove them wrong, right? So I decided kind of just to go on a journey <laughs> and figure out how to do this, how to have an online business and kind of share my experience as I went along too. So that's where I created the site internetbasedmoms.com, which I sold uh, quite a while ago. I think that's almost 10 years ago that I sold it. Oh, well, well over 10 years ago. Um, but it was basically me having no clue what I was doing. However, sharing, <laughs> sharing what I was doing and what was working and, and figuring it out. And I, eventually I did. I think that's probably where I actually know you from because <clears throat> internet based moms sounds very familiar to me. So does the work at home moms network. And I think, um, possibly, yeah, I might have, because obviously with internet-based moms, you had a similar ethos to I did with, with Entrepreneur's Journey, right? The whole idea of kind of chronicling your process of becoming mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. Uh, in your case, you're, you were a mother. So um, I, I don't, I can't recall. We're talking like you said, you sold it 10 years ago. So, and you must have been running it for, what, three or four years before you sold it? or? Well, I think it must have been sold in 2006. I can't be 2007. I'm trying to think. Maybe five years. Yeah, I might have had it for five years. Okay. Or is that an exact time? No, I couldn't have. Wow, it seemed like I had it longer. <laughs> it's so long ago now. Oh, well, we'll take us far with, with that. So that, that was your main project? And, and what was the plan yes. to actually make well, money from that? Well, what it was, it was the main project in that it seemed to take up most of my time, it actually, you know, really picked up lots of traffic, got lots of traffic and, and, uh, you know, the community was growing and everything. But what I was doing really to like, you know, to pay the bills in the very early days was I started as a writer for pay. So I was writing articles, I was doing copywriting, um, which I self taught and quickly because it just really it just it went well with me I always wanted to be a writer I never knew I wanted to be a copywriter growing up but <laughs> I thought I was going to be a novelist of mm -hmm. some kind mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've never written a novel in my life <laughs> yet um, no I don't think it's going to happen okay. it's alright I'm good with it okay. <laughs> so that's what I was doing so that was kind of the you know paying the bills doing that but that became how were you, know, you getting the clients back then Word of mouth, mostly. Um, yeah, just put myself out there and being in communities. I mean, and then, you know, it was a lot of message boards and things. Now it's Facebook groups and stuff. But it's the same idea, right? Getting to know people, you know, that you offer these services. And, and you know, once you do a good job with one person, yeah, you get recommendations or they keep coming back for more. Okay. And internet-based internet moms, were you <laughs> just sort of writing articles about all kinds of internet marketing related things or talking about your business? business or interviewing people what was it about uh, the site itself was more it was more general uh, I think things I got more personal maybe through the mailing list and like the message board and stuff like that but yeah we were talking about all kinds of internet marketing topics and uh, then I hired some writers as well to to get on board and write but yeah it was a good and then I mean it was a great traffic site and then when at Google AdSense came around well, I don't remember what year that was that was a, a huge kind of helped me shift from you know offering services to being able to let go some of those clients and be able to do more of my own thing now, I'm curious during the early days were you a technical person like there's a lot of technical things we're talking about here so were you doing that all yourself Oh my goodness, I I still am not. I wasn't, and I I mean I've learned over time. But I like seriously, <laughs> for, 
actually going to reveal a lot about myself now is like being so front. Like I would cry almost every day. Something would <laughs> break or I wouldn't know how to fix it or I wouldn't know how to do something. And my then husband would help me a lot who, you know, my knowledge has surpassed his greatly after a long time. But at the time he knew more than me. So it was very helpful to me. I also hired people. I don't know. Do you know Lynette Chandler? Hmm. No, not so. No. Uh, she's she's smart. She's always been somebody who's uh, way back then too is leveraging technology and learning new things to you know help and assist in marketing. So she actually worked for me and she helped me with a lot of those things. So yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing back then too, it wasn't like WordPress easy to do things. It would have been sort of no. more raw HTML sort of stuff, right? I, I used front page Microsoft, oh, but the, wow. my very first site I built with Microsoft Word. I just built oh, the documents wow. and I loaded those up as HTML. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty messy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But it worked. <laughs> yes. and it, That was my book site, the kids book site right, that I made right. with Microsoft Word. It was a bit of a golden era, though, for Google because you could just publish content and you just get all this traffic, which it sounds yeah, like it happened it was. to you, right? And um, so going forward, you you switch from freelancing copywriting to more Google AdSense-driven. Now, AdSense also was in a golden era back then where uh-huh. I, I don't know how much traffic you got on that site, but did it become a full-time income source for you or did you still have to mix incomes or... It wasn't full time. I can't even remember what it was about five thousand. I mean, I guess that is considered full time. Yeah, <laughs> five thousand a month. Yeah, um, but it was also I was starting to start making my own products, information products, and things like that. And um, I was still doing some writing on the side. And then I kind of and then it, it was probably two. 2006 when I started and this is what I do to this very day is starting to offer private label rights contents so instead of uh, working one-on-one with clients we were making or uh, we were making ready-made content packages that people could buy didn't have to you know be at the mercy of any any clients whims or requests it's either they you know they come and see this content we have they buy it or they don't and it you know it was a big a big switch and what you know and as adsense died out that was or died out on that site for me and as i sold it right and then i completely lost the income um that was what kind of replaced it mm, okay lots to talk about here so uh, mm-hmm. I'd, love to dive yes. in, yeah, I'd love to dive into plr because that's a very interesting topic to me before we do that can we just sort of close the door on you know what happened with internet-based moms and and why did you sell it Oh, I wanted to buy a house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for, yeah, so I needed a good sizable down payment. Uh, even then, that was like 11 years ago, Vancouver housing was pretty expensive. It's ridiculous now. But back then, it was still expensive. So needed some money and decided to sell it. And it actually, I sold it to one of my business partners. Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't look like she does much with it. It's still up there. I'm not sure. Mm what's happening i haven't talked to her in a long time yeah it looks sort of half finished now but um yeah so i I, when you sold it because i actually sold my editing business probably around the time you sold this because i sold mine in 2007 um and in 2006 i bought a small business branding um from michael pollack i think it was 2006 and i remember when i bought that 
just writing the fact that I'd bought a blog on my blog was a bit of a news story because people were not buying and selling websites yet as a sort of, you know, normal yeah. thing to do. So when you sold internet-based uh, uh, business moms, is, is that, was that like uh, a big deal? Did people kind of you know, find that shocking or did it sort of just happen behind the scenes and that was it? What do you mean that people find it shocking? Like, did you have any kind of, you know, <laughs> did you, people want to interview you about selling a business online, you know, or did it just sort of, you know, you handed over the reins and you just got busy with PLR? Um, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, people, I mean, people did want to know because that it was kind of sort of that time where people were starting to do it and people were wondering how to price stuff. I mean, I think, you know, a few years later, I could have sold it for a lot more and not, you know, really knowing what to expect. Not that I, I'm not, the deal is good, like it was fine with me, but um, yeah, I had no, kind of had no idea what to, what to expect, mm. but uh, it all worked out and, and I'm glad I was, I was kind of coming to the end with that market anyways, too, because what I had found was that I I had created that site with, you know, uh, the market I was targeting, the work at home moms and the way I was marketing to them. I was it was kind of from a frugal perspective. Mm. So it's kind of giving them permission to be cheap. And we don't really want if we want to make good money. We don't want cheap customers. So it was I found it other than, you know, the traffic obviously brought money. It brought advertising dollars. It brought Google AdSense and stuff like that. But when it came to selling to the the market, I found that a little tough. So I kind of wanted to start a little, you know, more fresh uh. and, and do something, do something different. So you sort of had inadvertently attracted a bargain basement mm-hmm. clients. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, there's a very important point there about targeting, I think, isn't it? <laughs> if you want to sell yeah, high and a lot of a Go. lot of people do that, right? Because we want to be wise with our money and we want to share that with other people. But then, yeah, if we try to make that a business, that makes it yeah. <laughs> a little hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely if you want to sell something high ticket pricing. But okay, so now PLR, this is something that is definitely like an internet phenomenon. So I remember when I first came across this private label rights content. It was probably around the mid 2000s because I think there was mm-hmm. a few launches around it. It was new and it was exciting, and, and niche marketing was becoming a thing. So yes, people were creating these little websites and they were buying content packages to sort of start off with the first ten articles or the first ten emails in the email sequence, and it was huge for a while because it, it basically solved a, a big problem. Right? People don't like writing. People don't yeah. like content creation. Uh, but I'm kind of curious because it quickly became, I think, saturated. I feel like there was, you know, an abundance of this content coming on board. And then people started arguing that it wasn't good for search engine rankings because mm-hmm. you've got duplicate content. If everyone's publishing the same articles, your, your site's never going to get traffic. Right. So there's a lot to talk about here. But before we you know, talk about that part of it, and I especially love that you're still doing it because you've, you've clearly figured out you know, a longevity strategy in, in this space. But I'd like to know at the beginning to even think of this idea, you know, how did you, how did you transition and come up with the concept? Well, yeah, I saw there were a lot of people starting to do it and there were those, it was for those niche sites, those crappy sites where people were putting up the worst content. They just, as long as they had lots of pages, Google like didn't know how to tell if it was good content or not at that time. So there were all these PLR sellers popping up that, you know, hired people for $2 an article that didn't know English that well. Uh, And so they were garbage. And so what my business partner and I, it was 
it was actually the person who purchased internet-based moms. Um, we, we decided to go into business together on this PLR stuff. And what we did to set ourselves apart was say that this is actually good content. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's going to be good. <laughs> so quality content, the type of person who cared about that, right? Who cared that they were putting, you know, they were, they were building a business as opposed to just throwing up sites and, and making some quick cash. So yeah, that's kind of where it, where it began. Um, and even though I was a writer, I knew at this point that I, I did not want to write the content. I know a lot of people, writers go into the PLR business cause they're writers and it's a great way for them to transition from clients. For me, I just said that I'm, you know, we're going to hire writers. So my business partner did some of the writing and then she hired writers and managed them. And I never, I, I mean, on rare occasion, I've create, I do create PLR content now and then, but mm. on the day-to-day basis, I've never, I have always used writers to do it because my job is, is selling the content. Mm-hmm. Can you explain just even the, the PLR phrase? Where did, where did yes. that come from and what does it mean exactly? So it stands for private label rights. And basically uh, what it is, is that it's content. It could be a variety of things. It can be reports, videos, graphics, any type of content, right? And it's already created on a certain topic and the customer can go and buy it for a, a low price, right? It's cheaper for them to hire from hiring a writer because as a PLR seller, we sell it over and over again. So maybe to hundreds of people, maybe to thousands, depends on who's selling it, right? So they can get it, you know, I mean, package prices vary, but I mean, it could be $10, $30, some are $100, depending on what's what's in there, instead of paying, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars to a writer. And they, the customer can then uh, edit the content, they can brand it, they can add their product promotions, and there are limitations and each seller probably ha- has different rules for it. So you got to read that. But um, it's basically content that you can make your own, but it's already done and you can just run with it. And I think it's also sometimes even more convenient than hiring a writer. Not that to, not just because it's cheaper, but because it's ready, right? So, you know, if you want to work on a project, you got to hire a writer, you got to wait. Here you can just say, this is what I need content on, get it, and you can run with it right away. Right. Now, how, like, how did you sell this for the first time? Can you take us through your, your first ever PLR product release? <laughs> Oh, shoot. Do I remember? (laughs) I think we saw, oh yeah, we set up a membership site and it was for, it was for moms. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Uh, It was a family type, family type content. Uh, It was called allmomcontent.com, which probably redirects to allprivatelabelcontent.com, which was our, our, uh, our main uh, name, but doesn't matter. Don't need to know all that. But it was a membership site. So every month, can't even remember what we started with. Like they got like something like 25 articles and what else did we put in there? I really don't remember. A few other things. So how much were they paying? Like uh, $20 a month and they get 25 articles? When we first launched, we did it cheap, cheap, cheap. I think it was like $12 a month or something. And then it went to 20, it went up to $25 a month. I think the price, I think the, the current owner still sells it. Um, and I think it's about $25 a month for, yeah, a big chunk of content every single month. And how did you create the, those first articles and, and, you know, build that website and the membership area? And who did you sell it to? Does, was it there an audience that you had access to? Uh, yeah, I guess because, I mean, there was overlap between internet-based moms and that. So I had that list to kind of introduce them to the idea of PLR. And then again, my business partner is the one that bought, 
<laughs> I bought it. So she was still had that audience after we were done. Um, and affiliates, you know, there were people who wanted to promote it. I got a lot of people on board right away, uh, who, who were, you know, sending me customers and I was giving them commissions for doing that. Um, and as far as like the membership, that was the first, yeah, membership uh, platform. And I started using a member because my friend Lynette that I was telling you about, otherwise I never would have been able to use a member because it was confusing as heck. Um, and I still use it to this day. It's still my favorite platform that, that I've come across. Um, but that was new. Like the mm-hmm. idea of membership sites was quite new. There weren't a lot of choices. Um, they were tech, they're quite technical. And so, yeah. Do you remember how well that first release went for you? Um, I think we got a few hundred members, Wow. I think. So it wasn't so bad. <laughs> we were happy with it. And I mean, it from our costs and stuff, we were, we were making money. So it was good. And then we went and had to do a few different memberships. And so each month we were doing these packages of content. There was like finance, there was health, uh, a few different ones that marketing, uh, that we did. So we grew it from there. Now, how did those people use it? What, what was the typical use case for PLR content then? I'm thinking they, that was mostly putting it up on their website. We were encouraging them to use it for emails. Um, you know, I don't think we gave them reports at the time, but they could bundle it up into reports and things like that. But, yeah, it was, I mean, I think it was a lot of just website content at that time mm. people were, were using it for. Okay, interesting. So, as I said before, I remember there was like a heyday, uh, mm-hmm. golden, golden era for PLR. Uh, it seems like there was a golden era for everything over there. It's still there, you know. <laughs> well, it's still there, I promise you. I, yeah, I'd love <laughs> but to I hear. But I know a lot, of pe- a lot of people think it's gone. I'm like, no, it's well, not gone. Let me be honest with you. I remember when PLR <laughs> popped up, and I'm a writer too, so I'm like, "This is blasphemy in some level for yeah. me," you know. Right? <laughs> I can't use this. This is yeah. worse than hiring someone else to write my stuff. I'm putting up other people's content, which is duplicated by you know other websites. So right. there's no unique value here. Um, I don't see how I'm going to get any searches and rankings for this content. Certainly not long term. In fact, I'll probably damage my rankings because they'll start seeing that I'm publishing lots of duplicate content. I thought maybe emails, that kind of, I could see the use case because it's not searches and relevant. It's just going out to your email list. But even then, I'm like, my voice is not there. So maybe I'm not the target audience. And that's fair enough. I'm a writer. So other people who are not writers, this is a way to accelerate the content production. But I always thought, how does it match their targeting? You know, how is it not just sort of filler content? Because it's it have to be so tailored. So I'm giving you every single doubt I've ever had about <laughs> PLR content here. Um, and I think I actually did buy one stage, one set of content for a, 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 a business idea I had that never happened. So um, can you, I mean, maybe you can deal with all those doubts first, but secondly, secondarily, I know it felt like to me there was a period where there was some launches that happened around PLR. And there was, I remember um, a friend of mine in Sydney, uh, Aurelius uh, Chin. Chin. Yeah, he yeah. was into PLR, still is, I think, too, actually. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. You two are probably like the best examples I remember of, of being in PLR. But what was unique about you two, and it's kind of why I want to talk to you, is you're still doing it. And I feel like it's it's almost like uh, someone who started doing a 1980s technique of music and the music is still, you know, proving popular now. It's like, how are you doing that? <laughs> you know? Well, that's the thing. We're not doing, uh, or I'm not. I don't know Aurelius's uh, story exactly. I, I do know him and, and we promote each other, but I mean, I don't know. How he how he started compares to now, but we, we I've adapted right. There's mm-hmm. different needs and stuff and different types of content we put out. And um, but if we want to go back to what you're talking about, like search engines and things like that, I re- I remember that very well. That people thought like it was the worst thing, and I used it all the time. I I when I cared about search engines, and eventually I came to this point where it became more difficult and it wasn't because I was using PLR. It was difficult for everybody. Right. And I just said like, forget about Google. I don't care what they think. You know, I'm just going to go do different stuff. But at that time when Google was still like easy pickings, um, I used PLR content all the time. I, not all of it. Like, I mean, there had to be a mix, right. And you can't just be, you know, if you're just putting it out there, putting it as is, then you might run into some trouble. But what I thought, was interesting was when and people would always ask me if my PLR was optimized for search engines and I'm like how can my PLR be optimized for search engines if everybody's going to put it up and target the exact same keyword phrase you're not going to rank so I always insisted I'm like no it's not what you need to do is you need to do your own keyword research come up with a keyword phrase that you want to target with that content change the title maybe add an introduction, not rewrite it, because I think that's a waste of time. What's the point of buying PLR if you're going to rewrite it? So I would do these minor changes, maybe an introduction, maybe add some examples if I felt like it, uh, change the title to target a specific keyword phrase. And I got traffic to my PLR con- articles all day long. So, and then, I mean, it's the same as, you know, new sites and things like that too, right? They're always publishing the same content and doing different things. But we're what we were doing is providing a good experience for our 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 audience yeah. and as long as we were doing that then then things were things were going well so take me forward with with the growth of this business for you did did you <laughs> sort of just double down on the membership side of things or what happened next um no i actually found i started to find that a little more difficult to sustain where people would want to be paying for the same content over and over so i dabbled with different things and trying to get you know setting up a credits membership where they can pick what they got and so basically i do product serial product launches um, I do have some memberships. I do have recurring income set up that way. And one that's actually started to go quite well. But, um, but basically because I'm not involved, I'm involved with uh, coming up with the product ideas. But then my writers and my project managers, they make sure the product's done. They make sure the sales page is done. Everything's ready for affiliates and things like that. I'm very hands-off with that part of it that I can do this, these serial. Like it would be exhausting if I was trying to do, <laughs> do it myself, right, to do these serial product launches but i find that works best uh customers plr customers even though they may not always want to pay for a membership they are like excited to just go keep buying your products like i have customers just buy everything and so i found that to be more more useful uh to me and and it's changed over time too like what types of content I offer like we do a lot of graphics we do more like practical type of content that won't be for search engines but it's like you know journals and worksheets and and documents that 
you know, people love to get their hands on and um, different types of stuff rather than just plain old written content that's going to be on a blog somewhere. So that's that's really evolved over time and, you know, trying to figure out what what customers really want, like what they're going to what they're going to you know rush out to buy. They're not rushing. You know, back then I could sell a 10 article pack. Right. And they people would be rushing to buy it. They're not rushing to go and buy a pack of articles anymore. They want different stuff. They want more unique things. I can imagine it's become more sort of tailored and niche where you might, for example, doctors need a 10-part series of videos on something common and all doctors need that for their website. So you could put together something like that. Is that kind of the direction it's gone to or is it does that do? Not for me, but I know that a lot of people have done that, like, yeah, serving local businesses and things like that, doing stuff like that. For me, I still stick kind of general-ish because I have a large customer base that will buy those, you know, if I get too specific, I'm not going to be able to sell more. Of course, if you're targeting doctors and things like that, you could charge more, right? They're going to, they're going to be willing to pay, pay more for that type of content. So it's a balance. But for me, I've already got this established uh, large audience of affiliate force that's, you know, always promoting my stuff. So I'm focused in two areas now. It's marketing topics. And then there's also personal development. So I keep it kind of general, not, not going too specific because then I'll, whittle down the people who will okay. be willing to buy it can we what, what's a the sort of a website where you can see an example of what you're actually talking about here what, what yeah <laughs> listmagnets.com is where we have i have the marketing content that was kind of the that was the main site and then i actually you know i was doing at about six months ago on that site i was doing marketing health personal development and food content and so there was quite a few things there but late last or mid last year i decided to focus more on the topics that sold well so marketing was my second most popular topic so i decided list magnets will be just dedicated to that now and i started a new site at publishforprosperity.com and that's solely personal personal development content (laughs) because that is my biggest seller actually so what's an example of like a personal development plr product like what what's in it today um you know one of our bigger sellers has been uh, our journal pack so it's just a pack of different you know really nicely designed journals for different topics um you know i can't remember journals for you know gratitude journal uh journals for moms or something it's just a package of a variety of journals that people can use um you mean you say journal they're they're like empty for people to write in printable yeah and they've got quotes in them they're nicely designed there's some writing prompts and things like that um same with planners like a daily planner like you know you organize your work for we've done ones like that um and so I might be like a personal development coach or speaker or, or something like that. And I want to potentially add these to something I offer. Yes. I can just buy your yeah. package, put yeah. my name on these journals or these planners, and then either sell them or include them with what I already sell. I can do whatever I want with them. Yes. 
So it's kind of, it sounds to me like it's entrepreneurs. Ultimately, you might be selling to a lot of small business owners who, mm-hmm. who already have their own audience too. And they're just wanting to augment their product offerings or, or even create products. Create products, yeah. Okay, interesting. So uh, how does one go about getting into PLR? Because I, I, there might be some people listening to this who are thinking, you know what, I want to get into this market that Alice is in because I don't you know, want to be the content creator, but I wouldn't mind hiring uh, content creators and, and selling. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is this even possible anymore? Or you know, do you have to sort of be, have been in it from the early days so you can build up this nice list and audience like you have, and you have, by the sounds of things, great relationships with affiliates. So I'm assuming you're kind of all cross-promoting each other's stuff. Yes. So how do you get into well, that yeah, club, so- or do you need to be in that club, or you know, what's it like today? Well, you can get into that club. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing. And, and I do, like uh, Ron Douglas and I have a training program that uh, teaches people how to start a PLR business. And that's kind of, you know, the important part of the training is, is, I mean, it, it is a, it's a great business. It's a, it is an easy business to get into. People want to buy this content. They keep buying it. Also, when it comes to building relationships with affiliates, it's still, you know, I mean, you have to do the work to, to, you know, to build those relationships, but it's still fairly easy if you've got a good product and it's selling well, because, as PLR sellers and creators ourselves, we we can't fulfill all the needs of our customers. Like we said, they want to keep buying stuff. So we're always promoting other things. And that's an important part of the training that we teach them is to, you know, like uh, help them, you know, and we even help them get started. I, I promote their product, their first promote product, and then recommend them to my affiliates as long as everything goes well and the products, you know, good and stuff like that. But it gets that foot in the door for them. But it's, it's, it's still a very good business because a lot of people fall off just like with everything else so you know there's always a need for more people and and you know i i encourage people to start it because i i'm i'm happy to promote good content what's a step one two three just is it a case of going to like an upwork site finding a writer or a designer if you want to do something more pretty giving them a brief having this product created setting up a sales page Correct me if I'm wrong here, or if I'm just describing exactly how you do no, it. No, you're, 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 you got it. <laughs> yeah, then, I don't use Upwork or anything like that. But yeah, for someone new, for sure, like they, you know, they have to find writers. I usually go through word of mouth, and my project manager is always looking out and hiring new writers. So we're we're kind of set that way. But yeah, Upwork or Fiverr, if you're doing graphics or something like that, you know, it's just a matter of one product. I know a lot of people think when they start a PLR business, they need this big store that has all these things in it but it's no it's one plr product get it ready sell it you know you know if you can just find one affiliate to promote it or you know and and then work from there see what results they get choose those results to get new affiliates and and work from there mm-hmm. um one thing that works seems to work well for people and i do not use the jvzoo platform myself but you know jvzoo a lot of people who promote PLR like that because they get the instant commissions. It sometimes gives people a boost where, you know, if you could say it's on JVZoo and you get paid right away, you know, affiliates are, and then they could see the stats too, right? Mm. They could see proof that, that the offer sells. And JVZoo yeah. is like ClickBank, right? It's like a marketplace for affiliates. Yeah. 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 
Okay, one one uh, personal concern here that I'm sure some of the listeners might be thinking about. There's a lot of content being created every day on the internet. I think uh, we're all inundated with the YouTube videos and the blog posts and the, the Instagram pictures uh, and so on. So there's a part of me thinking, why on earth are people going to pay money for content when there is such an abundant supply of free content online? So right. what's, what's the secret sauce there to kind of turn this into a, a money-making business? So as a seller like why how just even that thought process like what's wrong with that (laughs) thought process given the business model that you make work (laughs) well i mean free content comes in the price you have to credit the the creator of that content so if you're planning to use free content in your business which is great i mean of course you do it and i do it everybody does it but plr is something that you make your own it's, you know, you're totally your branding, you can change it, you can modify it, adjust it to your audience. So it really speaks to them, you have full control over everything. And so whether you're a user of PLR or seller of PLR, that's your that's your selling point, right? Like this is their content that they can use, they can create products from it, they can create free content from it, whatever they want to do. Mm. It, it gives me the feeling like that the target audience are new entrepreneurs looking for opportunities, so a, a way to start a new business. And that could be starting a PLR business or actually using the PLR content mm-hmm. to start a business or established business owners who are looking to do something with the content. They already have a market. They already have an audience. So, yeah. um, but there, there's always that it's, it is a weird because like, people say this about blogging or podcasting or YouTubing, the market's too crowded, there's too much being re- produced. But the answer always to that question is there's a niche there and there's a small audience that you can build a business around. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably the same answer for the PLR world too. You just have to find this corner of, of the internet where yeah. your target audience is and you'll you'll get customers and enough to, to have a business, which it sounds like you've done for over a decade now in PLR, yes. is that right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so it's a career. Yeah, and I don't, I, don't, I don't see an end in sight. I mean, the, the need for the content's still there. People still don't want to do it all themselves. And like... <laughs> what, does, is... um, what does your business look like today in terms of the people you have helping you? Um, well, I... You're the, um, you're the CEO, right? Uh, it's me. I, my official title is director because I, I thought CEO sounded hoity-toity when I incorporated, <laughs> so I'm director. Okay. But yes, I'm the CEO. Um, and I have, I guess, directly with me, I have working... Uh, it would be not quite right. I, I mean, there are my virtual assistants, and that's what they do by trade. But they are much more than that, obviously. Um, one works with me where she does my customer support. She manages my writers. She finds new writers. Like if I, I don't have anything to do with that. Like she, I tell her what content needs to be done and she makes sure it's done. And if, you know, a writer flakes, flakes out or something, she find someone to get it done right so i don't have to worry about that how does she do that because hiring is so hard and getting good people is hard so how does what's yeah it is hard and she's awesome (laughs) in short but uh the secret about this is actually at the same time that uh I was kind of transitioning from writing for pay. I also started a business, a ghostwriting business, where I never did the writing, but we hired writers. So she still 
which I'm not part of. <laughs> it's very complicated. I'm not part of that business. Someone <laughs> else purchased it, but she works for both of us. Okay. So she has that pool of writers and it benefits the ghostwriting business owner because those writers get extra work, right? And it benefits me. So she's she's working, she's gathering, she's able to give lots of work through what she does, right? So right. so it's easy to to keep people and and get new people and not easy to, always to get new people. She does some topics are a little bit more difficult mm. to find people, good people, but yeah. So she just uh, keeps keeps busy with that. And then the other side is my other assistant who does more like the product setup, the sales pages, um, and she works with the graphics people as well. So which I don't do as much graphics. So I have two. She works with two different people and makes sure they get everything done. And and I just get basically shown the finished product. And technical support is someone doing that for you, I assume. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my friend Lynette still does some work for me, but if I do run into those types of problems, it's uh, usually Tanya or Melody, either because they're better at this than me. Either they're fixing it or they're finding they're finding the people to fix it, right? So, so you've got customer so service, you've got like a manager for writers and, and finding writers and people who put together the the stuff you actually sell mm -hmm. you've got technical people helping you i'm assuming you know websites landing pages sales pages so on um anyone else i'm, I'm missing here in, in the team team alice <laughs> you know I, there it's that as far as people go those are the people so you know there's two that answer to me and then there's people under them and i don't even know sometimes right Especially on the writer side, I have no idea. Right, <laughs> I have right. no idea who, who writes for me. But and I'm sure there's more that they do that I don't even think about, right? right. Like that just totally I'm not even so. I'm not aware how just how valuable I am aware how valuable they are, but I'm saying that individual things that they do I might be missing some. And it sounds to me, uh, the most important thing you bring to the table is a lot of the relationships you have with other people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like the affiliates, uh, and so on. But I'm curious what is a day in the life of Alice what do you personally do are you involved with much of the business or are you mostly uh, with your family my or? job is uh, I write emails I write emails all day long not all day because I don't do it for that much time of day <laughs> but I, I I'm basically the I'm the marketer I'm the yeah developing the relationships I do the product planning so a day would be mostly me writing emails uh, to affiliates, to customers, those types of things, because I love email marketing. That's, you know, where my biggest focus is. Um, and then, you know, pro planning products, which doesn't get done every single day. Um, and then also I, you know, I manage a couple of Facebook groups and things like that. So I, that's something I enjoy and, you know, kind of like, you know, like working with those and developing relationships with the customers and which it's kind of an extension of that email marketing part mm. because email marketing tends to be a lot more selling, but I soften it out with, you know, the Facebook groups and which are more content focused and, and also, you know, very, I, I love it because it's very, it forces me to think of, you know, good strategies and things for me to do. It also gives me accountability because I kind of share what I'm working on and making sure that I, you know, keep moving forward. So a lot of benefits to it. You you said that's, earlier, that's, sorry, you said earlier that you do serial, like serial launches, which I assume means you're doing many launches a year. Yeah. Um, how, what does that exactly look like? Are you doing one a month and are you doing like all of it, writing emails, selling your own products or what do you mean? Uh, two launches a month. 
uh, usually PLR. Um, and then I guess this doesn't also count my business. <laughs> Let's just focusing on the PLR stuff. Yeah, so it's PLR product being launched about two times a month. Uh, it used to be more, but um, yeah. So, or what was the question now? What, <laughs> well, like, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, what does that look like? And how do you, I mean, if you're doing it two times a month, how how is the list... Is it like it sounds to me? Maybe because what I understand, giving your your in your market, I'm assuming a customer who buys one PLR package likes that one because it's something related to what they're doing. Where yeah. the other one, you know, maybe the second launch that month, it, it's not yeah. related to them at all. So how do you manage this without people, you know, unsubscribing because they're getting constantly right. hit with promotions for stuff they don't really want? And I think that's something different about PLR is that, you know, PLR buyers know that, and especially if they're my customer, they know I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be telling them something they can buy, some PLR they can buy every day. And I think it's more of a like, yeah, okay, that fits. No, it doesn't, but I'll come back and check because Alice always has good stuff coming up. Want to make sure. So it's kind of like, it's different than others. Like if you're selling in from training or something like that, I think it's quite different for me. It's even though I have two launches a month, I'm still promoting a lot of uh, products through affiliates. They get emails from me every day. Wow. Uh, and most of them are sales emails, wow. like something for them to buy. So it's a different, it's a different approach. And I'm saying, yeah, I don't know that that would work in a lot of different markets, but for PLR, it's, they know I find the good stuff. So they want to check it and maybe it doesn't fit, but it's, they don't get like, Oh, I can't believe she's sending that to me. <laughs> yeah. It's more like just, okay, well that one doesn't fit, but the next one might. It At does. least that's how that's how I'm seeing it. It's it sounds uh, if you're not burning out your list, then you can mail them a no. promotion every day. Yeah. That and yeah. assumingly they're obviously buying. That sounds like a great market to be in. So. It is a great market. <laughs> sounds like everyone should get into PLR. <laughs> exactly, but not everybody. Not everyone. You still need then, people to buy. As long, or you could sell it as long as you're still going to buy it. Then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually, does that can you like could I buy your stuff and then sell it to my audience? Are you allowed to do that with? As PLR, no. Um, there are you, and it's harder to find, but there are instances of that where you can you can find resell rights PLR. Right. And I do. There are some packages here and there where of mine that you can actually do that. But no, no. I guess it would burn. And most don't. It would burn out the market pretty quick if everyone yeah. was reselling everyone else's stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Alice, I, I feel more up to date now on, on how PLR right. is working, which is Thank good. <laughs> and I'm glad that, uh, you know, you could share some of the early day stuff too. Um, it sounds like you still enjoy this. So I'm, I was, normally I'd ask you what the future holds for you at this point in the interview here <laughs> towards the end. Uh, I'm thinking you sounds like you enjoy writing emails. You enjoy running the business. <laughs> Um, it sounds yeah. kind of like it's a hands-off business on, on a lot of levels for you. You don't even know what some of your staff are exactly doing <laughs> each day. <laughs> right? I have someone to keep an eye on that. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's true. I mean, it is something that I enjoy doing. I mean, a lot of I don't really enjoy being in the spotlight a lot. And I kind of did that in the early days with internet-based moms where I was this, you know, it was about me. And here I really like that it's, it is hands-off. It's something, and even though, you know, my subscribers and customers get to know me a bit, you know, and, and I'm out there on social media and stuff like that, it's, 
it's still, yeah, the very hands-off thing. And that's why, you know, I don't, I don't want to change it. I don't want to become, I don't want to become a superstar or anything like that because there's just too much pressure on me. This is, this is perfect for me. Well, I apologize for interviewing you on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Now I'm going to be famous. And what am I going to (laughs) do? You already are somewhat famous, Alice. I I was, remember you from early days. So, but I can understand you don't want to be Marie Forleo number number 35 or something like that. Um, can we go over all the domain names? We haven't mentioned your how to become a PLR entrepreneur website. Right. So I think there'll be some interest in that. So what was that one? Um, well, that's part of a project I run with uh, Ron Douglas. And we have EliteWritersLab.com. And we have a variety of products that teach uh, writers how to turn their skills into a living. So if they go to EliteWritersLab.com and there's training programs or something like that, it's called Content Cash Flow. And if you actually Google Content Cash Flow, you'll probably find it, but it's on the EliteWritersLab.com website. That's the PLR training program. But we teach people how to create information products, create membership sites, or even if for writers who want, you know, they're just getting started out, we have a program that teaches them to, you know, to offer their writing as services, right? Because it's a great way to start it's how I started and even though it's not where I wanted to stay it was a, an easy way to start paying bills and, and getting you know transitioning from workplace to to doing stuff on your own so yeah. we also teach that and aliceseba.com I know that still exists but that's probably not the best starting point for everything um, else they you do, can is it, if they just want to see it's a it's a one-page site so uh, it lists my projects has a few photos and stuff like that so it actually isn't a bad place to start because okay. you'll see you'll find elite writers lab there you'll find list magnets i hope i yes i have updated it i will leave publish for prosperity is on there <laughs> if it's not i'm gonna go right over and check that i've updated it okay. but i believe i did Alice Seba, that's S-E-B-A, is Alice's last name. Um, Alice, thank you for taking the time to share uh, the journey and uh, I guess open my eyes a little bit to see how PLR is still being used. It sounds like there's a little corner of the internet where there's this hungry buying audience who love PLR content. So, um, you know, it's, it's great that you made work for so long and it's great that it's still a thriving industry. I thought it was kind of dead and gone, you know, so um, that's, that's great. And you've clearly lived uh, or supported a great lifestyle for a long time. You haven't had Mm -hmm. a job. You've been living in Vancouver, not exactly a cheap city to live in. The most uh, unaffordable city in North America, I think it was right. or something. Yeah. You've got you've raised two kids during this whole time. Oh, but three. Three kids. I'm sorry. See? There's even a third one there. Yep. Even more accomplished than you thought. <laughs> I think I think there might be two dogs involved here too. So. Uh, <laughs> There are dogs, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and it's it's like you said, you've been, I wouldn't say you've been behind the scenes, but you've found a niche and you've used your skill at writing. It sounds like you're a prolific email writer, actually, more than anything, right? And uh, you've, you've made it into a long-term stable business, which is fantastic to hear. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Well, thank you for allowing me to. That was fun. And uh, good luck with the future, but I, I think you're clearly know what you're doing so no need to wish you too much more luck there and um yeah talk to you soon awesome thank you Hey, this is Yarrow. If you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast and you'd like to receive an email every time we release a brand new interview as well as receive a series of the very best EJ podcast interviews from the archives, then I recommend you go straight away to Interviews Club. That's Interviews 
www.thecreativeclub.com. Enter your email address there and then you'll be signed up to receive all the latest podcast episodes as soon as they're released. You'll get an email direct to your inbox. That's interviewsclub.com. Next time on the EJ Podcast. Find out what you really, really want to do. What drives you and what's kind of the thing that you're looking at that gets you super excited. Once you figure that out, go and find somebody that's already done it and offer them value. Maybe even team up with them. But learn what they know and perhaps form a partnership. If you do that one thing, you're going to save yourself so much time and energy. I've done that ever since the beginning. Thank you for tuning in to the Entrepreneur's Journey Podcast the original entrepreneur interview podcast established in 2005. See you soon.